from the West Branch Studios in Davidson, North Carolina. Welcome to Dump the Clutch with your host, Brad Zimmerman. Thanks very much for uh, uh, giving up your Friday morning for a bit uh, to chat with me. Uh, actually, you know what? Why don't you let us know who you are and then I'll, I'll kind of give the backfill on it. <laughs> um, I'm Christian Bird. Um, I've been a sports marketing um, executive probably for 23 years. Um, we've opened the most beautiful drag strip in the world. Um, we've also been very successful in that and been around the agency world as well as the uh, NASCAR world. Um, so I, I guess I have a lot of intellectual when it comes to that stuff and racing and and uh, right so, yeah i grew up around the sports and so um you're the son of jeff bird and um we originally met uh at gmr back uh, early 2000s and uh we worked on a handful of projects together and I was just thinking about it. Um, we're a little bit similar because uh, I come from California. My dad, he managed, uh, he works for the, uh, or worked for the uh, parks and recreation um, uh, industry in California in Long Beach. And he managed Vet Stadium out there, um, which is, uh, it's, it's a regional stadium. It's, it's fairly popular, but just uh, in, the, in the Long Beach area. Um, and I think we're kind of the same way because even as a kid, I remember getting in the car and going to events uh, during the day, at night, football, baseball, um, track. Uh, at one point, there was um, speedway uh, motorcycles. They ran around the track. So it was really cool to get exposed to, you know, quote unquote, sports marketing, but really from behind the scenes and from a facility standpoint. Um, do you, do you, uh, do you want to... Um, uh, talk about any of the first memories you have of going to Bristol. Oh, and to give a little context here, so so your dad was uh, manager, he, president he of Bristol Motor Speedway. Yeah, he worked at R.J. Reynolds for 23 years, and then he, um, when uh, the Smith family bought the Bristol facility, they took he took over uh, president and general manager there. So uh, from dirt track racers to the, probably the most um, consecutive sellouts to any racetrack. He was um, he was in the lead. Um, so yeah. So we went. I grew up in a racing family, and I grew up in um, uh, you know, from everything from golf tournaments to sailboat races to motocross to everything else that was. Um, available in the RGR regime at that point um, that you know that was key to my upbringing and so I was at a racetrack when I was probably six weeks old wow I think, from my mom my mama can validate that one. um <laughs> but uh no so no it's, it's in my blood and it's it's in my upbringing and we grew up around the old school people and um, Winston Cup and R.J. Reynolds and, and Junior Johnson and all those people around us. So. And when did he go from R.J. Reynolds to the racetrack? Roughly what year was that? It was in 1995. 95, okay. I went to college and they moved to Tennessee. And so 95... Oh, no, from... Yeah, yeah. And okay. so from 95, from a NASCAR standpoint... It's it's getting momentum. It's it's getting even bigger uh, from a national standpoint, but it hasn't quite yet hit the crescendo yet. And no, I don't think it hit the crescendo until the early two thousands when the TV money came in. Yep. Um, but um, I think that was the that was the turning point. It changed a lot of things. And I, I mean, from everything from me going to work for Brian France and Paul Brooks and in NASCAR to <laughs> the racetrack's making a lot more money. <laughs> um, 2000, 2001 was probably like, at that point, was was a, a, a big deal for um, NASCAR and, and the money, the way that went to teams and went to the tracks. 
you have memories of um, sports, obviously since birth, pretty much. Um, what are what are some of the memories? Uh, I remember uh, we chatted at one point, and, and you told us when you were a kid, you used to your dad would make you mow the lawn on the backside of <laughs> Bristol Motor Speedway at that huge incline. What are what are some cool stories that that you have from you know being a kid? I don't and... know if they're cool or not. <laughs> And so at, at what point did you think to yourself, huh, I think what my dad does is something I, I, I want to do as I get older? Or, or did you even really have that? Was it just so natural you just kind of progressed all the way up? Um, I, I think it was part of it was by nature. Um, and I was brought up in that. But um, that um, I think when around probably... 24 or so when I I mean NASCAR thing I was like oh, I really liked running my own racetrack and so they were going to build uh, eventually build the Z-Max Dragway in Charlotte and I think that that was part of my you know, kind of come to Jesus moment uh-huh. for lack of a better term right. of you know I want to do this I'm going to do this on the highest level be the best in the world and um we did that and we set all kinds of um records for finances and all kinds of other stuff and attendance and it was great my last it really was um and it still is and i think that the you know the sports is i mean they're all evolving and changing between indycar and nascar and, and nhra Dirt track racing, I mean, everything is changing so quickly right now. Yep. That, that's the part we're trying to get ahead of um, from um, on the other side of the, my life, on the consulting business. Right. And trying to figure that out. And then, um, so going back to the drag strip, I, because yeah. uh, me and you both love drag racing. and. Yeah. I remember when it was made public that they were going to build a drag strip there on um, that property. It seems like they built it in like four days. Because <laughs> um, I remember, I remember NHRA like they they put yeah, the date on the calendar and there was no track yeah, there at all. <laughs> there was. We did the impossible. Yeah. Um, we built a two-year project in six months and um, spent a little bit of money. Yeah. Um, but it's Mr. Smith's money, and um, he, he was very kind to us and letting us work at 20-hour days and um, building that project. And I, I give credit to the engineers. I, I wasn't there every night, yeah. every day, but at the same time, it, it's pretty immaculate. Um, even when you talk to the forces and the Bernsteins and the Amados and the, the Colettas of the world, you know, in drag racing, that is, you know, they, they, they still shake your hand and say, this is amazing. It's, so, yeah. I mean, I've been to almost every drag strip in the United States and a couple other ones, and I mean, there's nothing that compares to that. And so, was that drag strip going to be four lanes right off the bat? The only reason it was going to be four lanes was because it was going to be a TV issue. Because in this train, it kind of makes sense. But um, the only he thought that drag racing was screwed up because you couldn't be on live TV 
and everything in sports, especially metro sports, is about broadcast rights. Yep. So you, if you have an oil down, which is drag racing, um, you move over to the other two lanes. And so it was never built to be four lanes racing. Huh. It was built to make sure to get ahead of the, the curve of live TV and broadcast rights. I mean, it's no different than NFL or NBA or all the other sports in America. Like, he was just a visionary when it comes to looking at that the sport that way versus looking at it from a traditional, hey, we're just going to put together a car and go down the racetrack and see who goes the fastest. Yep. Like, he's like, no, like, if we're going to make money off this, we have to get to the live TV. And, huh. I mean, I think there, there have been gentle steps from an HRA standpoint to get to the live TV. Um, I don't think we're all here yet. <laughs> but we do have two four-lane uh, drag strips. So. Huh. Very interesting. Yeah, I, I never knew that. That's, um, that's pretty cool. And I, I think... Um, you know, you're, you're probably not going to say this about yourself, but you, I mean, so you were, I think at that point, the, the general manager of Z-Max Dragway, and you were still in your 20s. And is that, um, how did that feel? And also, uh, at that point, um, I remember I sent you a picture of you and your dad. I think it was the first event. And you both, I think you had a couple of your kids there, and you and your dad were looking down the strip. And it was, I think it was a really cool picture knowing kind of, you know, the history um, that he had and then that what, that what you were doing. Um, was, yes. Was that a cool time in your life? Was that a cool, yes. I mean, that was like, it's, it's hard to like one-up yourself and one-up your dad when your dad's successful. Um, right. Uh, it, um, yes. And, and I still have that picture sitting on my desk in oh, my cool. office. Uh, it's amazing to realize kind of where you come from and where you go yep. and knowing that like what I mean, what other people expect from you and yep. especially from the Smiths I love them to death it's been very very um, fulfilling to, to go through that whole process mm-hmm. um, and, 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 and see what you can accomplish versus you know what you want to do long term and be a dad be a husband be a you know everything else in life but at the same time like you gotta work your butt off right to like to be that you know do that well and to know that we don't live in a business model that's normal drag racing yep and um i mean I knew every drag racing operator in the country and they're all almost family operated businesses. So, I mean, it's really hard. I mean, Las Vegas and Sonoma and Charlotte and everybody else in between are so different than Bandemir and, you know, all the other people that are playing in this space. Yep. So it's really hard to kind of be that connectivity between the drivers, the owners, and the track operators. Right. And, and make that sense, you know, and be able to apply that to your day-to-day business. Yep. And so knowing you grew up in it and you, you're – you know, all of your professional career has been on the business side and the marketing side. And how old are you now? Are you even 40 yet? Yes, I am. So you're 40 years old. So you still got another 30 years to go. (laughs) So do you feel that because you have so much experience and you're still very young, um, what, what, where where does that put you in life? Do you wanna do you wanna stay in motorsports and try and um, uh, uh, recreate the model and recreate how people consume it, or are you starting to uh, take your knowledge and maybe apply it to something else? Um, great question. Um, no, 
it, diversification is key. Yep. And I, I, I know a lot about motorsports. However, I'd like to branch out, and um, whether it be esports or NFL or other stuff or development of real estate mm-hmm. there's so many other options out there right now I think that that's the key it might be it might be the downfall to a lot of these racing platforms mm-hmm. but um, it's also to get out at the right time I mean, so I'm not saying that everybody needs to get out but I mean I don't know many people that are still in the business that you and I were in the business with. Right. Um, there's probably a dozen. So, to me, that's a, that's a sign that it's time to get out and make sure you're smart about all kinds of different things. And right. Platforms and whatever's popular and successful. And I really do think the esports thing is going to be a game changer when it comes to whether you look at dirt track racing. I, I mean, I racing is for experts, um, but there's a lot of potential for other platforms out there that, um, whether it be IndyCar and NASCAR yeah, that, that are underdeveloped. Yep. And um, I think that yeah, we've been working hard on a lot of those projects. Yeah, I... Um the the esports thing is huge i don't think people that probably are listening to this realize how big it is um i think uh just yesterday i saw that uh one of the big teams esport teams cloud nine like they're valued at a half a billion dollars and i think right off the bat you know because every once in a while forbes will put out a valuation on on cup teams which is kind of accurate i wouldn't say they're exactly accurate but, you know, Hendrick always has been the, the one at around 300 and some million dollar valuation, you know, you know, assuming the, the gray area fudge in there. But um, and then you look at the audience. Is, there's plenty of hedge funds and um, billionaires that are super interested in being yep. involved. Yeah. And, and I think it all comes you, down you, to you, the audience. You got to follow the money. Right. <laughs> right. And you look at the audience that esports brings. And I still believe that, you know, whether it's motorsports or traditional stick and ball sports or combat sports, you know, the people that can do that in real life are very few. But the people that can do that in a um, gaming environment, that's everybody. So right off the bat, they have a bigger audience. And then once you start going global with it, because there really isn't, I mean, yes, there's countries and all the countries plug into it and other countries, you know, view it more. But at the end of the day, it's a person sitting behind the screen. And, and, and those are in the hundreds of millions of what they count that at uh, with an audience. Yeah, if you, if you want to um, quantify like viewership and not to get into the analytics of life and sports, um, there's way more 10 and 15 year olds playing these games and there yep. are people watching sporting events. And yep. I think that's the transition ultimately going to take place with um, with uh, whether it be motorsports or whether it be you know stick and ball sports I, I think that that's the difference of the next three years is they're not going to consume things like that. we don't have cable anymore I mean we don't you know we, we everybody's online and um, on some service and that's a whole different world because everything's consumed on PlayStations and Xboxes and you know, that's their world they live in. Yeah. And, and, and mobile, to be honest with you, um, with all the providers. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the future of this whole thing. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, you look at the, the two big, at least in the cup world, um, you know, you have the NASCAR heat and then you have the eye racing, and you know there's you know visually and, and functionality they're they're you know two very different products. But the eye racing stuff sometimes like if I see a clip online, I got to really look at it to see if it's actually real or it's a game. I mean their, their graphics are phenomenal, um, and 
I, I think that's great, number one. I also think that they, whoever they is, they need to figure out how to take the data that's coming from cars in a race on a Sunday live and overlaying that into a digital environment and allowing people at home to drive their e-car in the middle of a real race. And I, I know that's easier said than done, but man, if I think if you figure that out, now you make racing a participatory sport, which it's never been that, you know, you, you know, yeah, there's a bunch of people that play into teams and, you know, the pit crew and everything. But at the end of the day, it's really the, it's the driver that's having all the fun. So if you can start to bring in more people and have that level of engagement and potentially say, you know, Brad Keselowski won the race, but really I beat Brad Keselowski. Now I think that's, that's a major game changer. On the record, off the record, we're working on that. No oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> we have that. <laughs> um, well, I had that call yesterday. Um, <laughs> yes, that's, that's where the future is. Yep. And to, um, to be able to compete live and be, whether it be augmented reality and all the other sponsor placements you can put into the, those platforms and apps and all that kind of stuff. Yep. That's where, that's where the future is, yep. and that's where everybody's going to go ultimately. I'm just trying to get there faster than everybody else. Yep. Um. <laughs> so. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> so getting back yeah. to getting back to drag racing just because we both love it um yeah and given the fact that yes there is a lot of downtime and there's different classes going and um you know people are migrating from their seats to the pits and backwards and forwards and you know to really have it be a true broadcast you have to show it live but then you run into having a you know five-hour event do you think streaming is potentially the future for NHRA, given the fact that their events could could go on for quite a long time, and and having you know it's not like you have to have six cameras to cover it. Um, what do you think the 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 next iteration of broadcast for drag racing is going to be? All right, I'm going to turn right really quick right here. All right, I think gaming yep and um online betting yep I, I don't think that it has a lot to do everybody loves a drag race and everybody loves going to the race smelling the fuel and the tires and all that kind of stuff but i honestly think that the, between broadcast rights and somebody actually paying them to to broadcast it gaming is going to be the biggest game changer yep Yep. Right lane, left lane. Yep. Um, you know, these cars and all these classes, because it goes down through so many different. I mean, if you have 400 cars in a race, you could, it's a lot of gambling that can be done. Yep. Legally, um, from state to state. So I, I don't think it's the network that they're never going to make it until they get a. TV money or whatever. Right. It's not going to work. But um, the gaming could be the game changer. Yeah. Because this red car, blue car, I mean, I mean, my kids can pick it. Yeah, I... I my kids are gamble, but I don't like... It's... Um, I think it's too easy to not do. And it makes so much sense from a business standpoint for them to align with a Caesars or one of these national gaming platforms and, and try it. Yep. I, mean, I, I don't see why not. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I mean, even when I was in high school, we would go to Pomona for the Winter Nationals and everyone would stand on the fence all the way down the track. And, you know, we would sit up in the stands and, and watch the races, but we would also, or at least I would watch the people and they would bet a couple bucks every single pass. And they're literally just talking to their buddy next to them and say, okay, I got left lane, you got right lane. And and that was it. And and if you I'm have a- I'm not gonna throw my 
us that he sat there and watched the same thing at every one of his facilities. <laughs> and he's like, why don't we just monetize right. this old gaming? <laughs> <laughs> Because like, why not make money off of this while we're all sitting here, you know, drinking a cup of coffee? Uh, drag racing is very much like baseball. There are finite things that play into it, and there's a ton of statistics. You know, you could even have augmented reality app on your phone, so when you point into the starting line, maybe you know, above the car pops up their stats for that track, that lane. Um, I mean, any type of data you want to put into there so you can have a, a more educated, you know, bet. Um, no, but and, and unfortunately, unfortunately, I've already been down. <laughs> They're all ready to go. We yeah. can do it right now. Um, you, you, you heard it here I, first. I more about <laughs> augmented reality than I've ever wanted to know. About <laughs> I don't know about a reality some days. Right. Augmented reality is a whole right. This episode of Dump the Clutch is brought to you by Muddy Creek Experiential. Nestled in the Piedmont of North Carolina, Muddy Creek has been creating custom experience-based marketing and hospitality solutions for the past 20 years. Ensure that your next sports or entertainment investment is properly activated by the experts at Muddy Creek. Check them out on Facebook and Instagram at Muddy Creek Experiential. And now, back to Dump the Clutch. With you being a track operator, at the time is that um how hard is it for you to take your eye off the actual physical experience and apply it to the online or or is do you just hire the best people to take care of the physical experience once people are there so from a track operator standpoint you do the basics really well Mm -hmm. um from a developmental standpoint you have to do you have to be innovative and you have to be next generation and I think I think that's where it's called NASCAR a little bit like where you've lost some people that know all the tricks um and in drag racing where I think they don't know how to get out of their own way at sometimes yep um they're everything's the bottom line Yep. You and I know that. We've all worked together and worked at agencies and understand P&Ls. Um, but however, there has to be a, a, a vision and you have to have people, whether it be the Jim France at NASCAR, you know, whoever's leading NHRA right now to understand, like, there's <laughs> this isn't going to work long term. Right. Um, you know, you have to. You know, ultimately, you have to be aggressive. However, you have have to understand all the tools. So we've talked about augmented reality and everything else to to proceed and to move forward. Like I think that's esports, augmented reality. I mean, this. I got four kids. They see on their phones and iPads. Every time they're not in school. Yep. So um, that's our next generation of, of fans and ticket buyers and everything else in the world. Yep. And and that's their native platform. They don't know anything different. And that's the other thing that I think, you know, people in their 40s, 50s, and 60s that are still in the business, they may understand what that statement means on paper, but they don't really, um, really, you know, it's... it's a, Honestly, it's a very difficult conversation to have with a lot of marketing executives and people that are are well-to-do and and senior level is we we, we haven't figured this thing out. And um, I think for the most part, it comes down to evolution. But like at the same time, it's really difficult to explain esports to a 50-year-old VP of marketing. Yep. And, um, you know, or, I mean, or some of them is super easy to explain to 
because they understand it and they're either from California or, you know, somewhere out there. And one of the technology companies and they understand it. It's a hard bridge to cross, to be honest with you. Like, that's the hardest thing I think in my world is right now, from a consulting standpoint, is like, how do you educate somebody that's secure, comfortable, but doesn't understand anything about a game? And understanding how much information you could push through there and all the different opportunities. I think it, with SMI and IC going back private, hopefully that gives them a little air cover to not be so reactive and thinking in long-term goals of 90 days at a time where they're trying to hit a stock price and, and give value back to their shareholders. Hopefully this will give them some room to think long-term and to take some risks that, um, you know, educated risks, strategic risks to, you know, make it pay off and to start getting the audience back. Um, you know, even... I think you're going to see diversification. I think you're going to see more partnerships with um, uh, music and entertainment companies. I mean, you look at the, the SMI partnership that's potentially in um, Nashville. I mean, that makes total sense because yep. it's Nashville. And between the country music population and the ability to have a multi-purpose facility, I mean, that kind of stuff makes a ton of sense. And I think you're going to see a lot more um, multi-use facilities where you're not just a racetrack anymore. You're going to be a um, music amphitheater. You're going to be a, you know, a, a retail, you know, destination. And all that stuff's going to come into play, I think, across the board. Yep. I think you're silly because, I mean, at the end of the day, you're monetizing um, real estate. Yep. And that's, it, 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 it make it as simplistic as possible. It, how much, how many days of the year can you make money and how many, you know, square feet can you make money off of? And that's what it comes down to in this business. It's not, not super sophisticated. Yeah. And I think elementary, to be honest with you. I think Atlanta Motor Speedway, they've put out some drawings uh, not too long ago, probably late last year, of, of their, you know, desire and intention to, you know, keep the racetrack but build exactly what you're saying, a mixed use entertainment property around it. Um, you know, Las Vegas, um, they have the um, that EDM festival. I'm not sure how many times they have it a year, but I've seen pictures from it, and it almost looks fake. They pack so many people and things on the infield of that racetrack. But and that's been going on for a few years now. But I, I, I totally agree. That's this is um, this is uh, Disneyland, and how many games can you put in Disneyland, and and how many yeah. of those days throughout the year can you have a, a hardcore audience? Yeah, Disneyland's been year-round. Um, a lot of these facilities aren't. And um, there's two different operating mentalities. Um, and I, I'll go on the record and say ISC has a... We're open six days a year for so many racetracks. Yeah. And SMI has taken a much more bullish mentality of being hey, we want to be open every day of the year. Right. I mean, whether it be Christmas light shows or car shows or cars and coffee and drag races and all the other stuff, you know, we, we got a lot of people to, to employ. Um, but, you know, you can either go one way or the other, and I'm not sure one's better than the other. However, I mean, it, it's, you have air coverage from broadcast money, but you also got to decide what your leadership wants to do and, and who they want to be. Yeah. And um, I would say there might be a lack of leadership on the NASCAR side. Yep. I, I'm pretty confident in the people on the SMI side. Yeah, I am. Um... 
it, it, I mean, obviously, I'm not. Sorry, it, don't put that on the record. Can we, just, <laughs> can we, can we strike that? I'm not. I you know I'm obviously not in in detailed meetings with you know NASCAR, ISC, but um, I just. I, I see a leadership issue as well. And historically, if you look back to NASCAR, if you look back to Formula One, there was one person with a vision and you either believed in it or you didn't. And if you did not, you left. That's it. And there's no vanilla um, approach to anything. There's no eighth place trophies. There's no like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll make sure that, you know, you have your say. It was either the one way or the highway. And um, that's that's kind of what you need. And, you know, I think you hit it on the head. You need to have someone with a vision. And um, it's... I, I think there's, there's a lack of vision. However, I do believe in the Bill France senior and junior mentality. This is my sandbox. If right. you don't want to play in it, right. then go home. Yep. Yeah, I... Um, I and, you know, a lot of people you know, turn their nose up at Bernie Ecclestone in Formula One, but man, he turned nothing into billions and billions and billions of dollars. Global sport that for, you know, almost until now has competed with soccer as the biggest sport in the world. Like it, it takes a vision. And, you know, usually the people that have those visions, they're very quirky, odd characters, but, you know, they have to, they believe in it so much themselves. They don't care what anyone else thinks. And um, no, that's. And I think it would be interesting with the Penske group taking over IndyCar. That's a whole different world, man. Yeah. yeah. I look. I, I got a couple friends that work there, and you know they have to shave their face for the first time, and um, <laughs> you know wear black pants and white shirts or whatever yep. they wear. Um, I think that's good for them, honestly. Like, I honestly think he'll bring. Um, continuity to the whole yep. program, and that's great for IndyCar because I think IndyCar is pretty cool. Yeah, um, yeah, big fan you know, of IndyCar. A lot of up and coming people and talent. And yeah, and I think it's NASCAR doesn't, but like you think, yeah, it's just, they have so much potential on these. It's so untapped. Yeah. I totally agree. And I, I think with IndyCar, it's still a driver series, you know, given all the different places they drive at. But um, uh, I'm, I don't want to sound a little morbid, but Roger Penske's not going to live forever, although he's probably secretly 130 years old. But I think given his age and where he is in his career, I think you're going to see hammer down from him because I think he wants to see a lot of these things happen while he's still alive and he can enjoy them. And that, to me, is very exciting. And uh, he obviously has the checkbook to make stuff happen. Um, I think the way he and his group have approached, you know, acquiring the track and all the assets has been flawless from what I can tell. You know, again, it happened pretty quickly. It probably was a conversation that was, you know, happening for years and years. But, you know, the ultimately, the, the last step happened very quickly. Um, I think the, the safety aspect is they've made strides with the the windscreen. You know, a lot of the teams are starting to release their um, cars for this coming season. I think they look like rocket ships. So I think from a pure visual and sniff test, uh, I think that is key for um, uh, pulling in young kids because regardless of what they know about drivers or driving or all that stuff, does the car look cool? I think the car looks cool. Um, and uh, I, I, I think... You know, we've touched about it on it here, but taking advantage of certain types of broadcast platforms and how to get to a younger fan base um, with this product, while not fully alienating the people that got you there, um, it's it's quite a dance. But I th I think they now have, you know, at least from the outside looking in, they have the leadership that can at least identify it, and more importantly, they have. Um, the finances to pull something off and you know maybe they're in a position to take a financial risk up front to make it happen and then they can monetize it over time but um i'm i'm very pleased to see how that series is is shaping up because you know quite honestly for years and years that series was getting punched in the gut i can promise you every day of my life i'm working on not only the next generation and the um potential for that series 
um, that's, that's every every morning when I get out of bed, um, we're trying to figure out how we can do IndyCar really well with all kinds of different um, mechanisms for looking uh, get yeah. consume it. So uh, no, that's your spot on. Yeah, I uh, I said. <laughs> I still think that, you know, there's a handful of properties. I think SMI might have most of them, but, you know, the ability to have a motorsports festival where you have drag, IndyCar, NASCAR all at the same weekend, you know, from a broadcast standpoint, traditional broadcast, you know, you, you can have one film crew or camera crew there to capture the whole thing. Um, and then from a distribution standpoint, you can push all different parts and pieces throughout the networks and network meaning, you know, traditional and digital um, you know, there's it, there's not a lot of people, but there's still some people that would probably rather watch a crew on a top fuel team tear the engine down as opposed to watching the car race. And there's people that want to see what happens in the garage, and there's people that want to see what happens on the grid for IndyCar and NASCAR, you know, over and above what TV puts out there, which is, you know, all of about a minute and a half. So um, there's, I, I agree, there's a lot of untapped potential, um, you know, We've been in it forever. There's there's a million ideas floating out there. Um, I just think it's going to take the right yeah, well, people in person yeah, to put I, to I, enact I, them. I think the yes, the ability to be involved in the broadcast is awesome. And I mean, they're just we, we've gone about it like for 25, 30 years um, in this traditional standpoint where you just put it on a you know, a channel, and I think nobody, like my, like my kids don't, um, consume that anymore. Right. I mean, they don't, we don't, they don't, no one does that. And so, <laughs> none of my neighbors do that. And so, why not, like, be super, you know, aggressive as far as it comes to, um, augmented reality as well as streaming, and that's, I mean, the future is going to be in YouTube, Amazon, Netflix, all those people. Yep. I mean, they have all the money right now. Yep. So. I, you know, people that watch me on LinkedIn as well, I, I've been preaching this for years and I, it's, it's been a long road in motorsports because of the, um, addiction to cash and what the current TV contract brings. Um, yeah. but, People need to realize that, you know, when they sign up for the new TV deal, um, are they going to renew it? Sure. Is it going to be for what it is now? I, I really don't think so. <laughs> I don't even think it's going to be close. Um, but No, it'll be, it'll be three or four partners and a Masters slash World Cup kind of formula. Yep. And they will basically have proprietary rights to all the signage on the racetrack and all the other stuff so it's not um, it's not as cluttered as it used to be yep. and it might be financially stable but it's not going to be the money that they used to have right. and the money right now is it's I think it's 8 or 900 million dollars a year uh, and roughly half split between NBC and Fox and that has uh, what three and a half more years left to go, so um, uh, two, one year, two years. Two years. So it's the shot clock has started. <laughs> it started yeah. a couple of years ago. <laughs> if I were going to like bet on futures, um, I think NASCAR will be fine. There's young talent, and there there is TV money. NHRA is in a bad spot. <sighs> Um, yep. and I think IndyCar is in a good spot yep. to be honest with you with Roger and um, just a different mentality yep. and honestly I like, like there's no money to be made but dirt track racing is awesome Yep. like watching some of these like sprint car races and all these people whether it be you know some of the big events it's just, I mean they're really fun like it's and I think that's the, at the end of the day it's, it's more about having fun as a fan 
than it is about and we all get paid to make money but uh, yeah and I, I think that's the nuance with dirt track racing is that from a, a driver standpoint you know what they have to do with those cars um you know making those big horsepower um numbers uh for short periods of time like like from a driving standpoint it's great i mean they really have to be on their game car control like like nobody's business from a experience standpoint um a lot of the teams are self-funded you know they may have sponsorship but it's really just their buddies and they're buying tires and things like that and i think that sport as a whole is what it is because it has not been infected by large TV dollars. And they, they do want to have fun. And, you know, most of the people that I've been around that have gone cup racing but also love to race dirt, like the dirt people, they do not want to be famous. They just want to have fun. And, and, and that's okay. Like, um, you know, and, and so they're growing their fan base very organically. Um, albeit probably slower than what you know other people would want to, but but they do not want yeah. to be famous. They want to go have fun, and people understand what their abilities are behind the wheel. It puts on a great show. It's quick. Their heat races um, is they have a really good formula going right now. Yeah, and I'll, I'll date myself and like Donnie Shots or Sammy Swindell. I mean, aren't like names that my kids would know? But at the same time. It's a great product. Yep. And, like, I sit there and watch it, and I watch it through streaming and all that other other, other formats. And um, that, to me, would, is, is epiphany. Like, uh, you, this is great. Yep. Like, I don't, I can watch it anytime. I can podcast it or whatever and um, download it. And it's not, you know, destination viewing which I understand the NFL formula I understand the NBA uh, Major League Baseball whatever but like being able to just download a race and go watch it whenever you want to yep. is a heck of a thing yep. I think that's kind of where the whole trend is going yep. if I were and you know a betting man and you know I think the cushion might be the most you know, popular, you know, streaming service out there. And it's still, that's a, that's a firewall. That's a paid firewall. You know, I don't know what their audience is, but it's probably not in the millions, but you have people paying for that. And so therefore they're kind of culling themselves down. And that's a, that's a very um, rabid group that I think would appease a lot of sponsor potential sponsors coming in to get in front of those people, at least digitally, um, you know, while they're watching it or, just to get the data of who is watching it so then they can build programs to market against them. But um, Yeah, and I think that that's key. I mean, if you, if you talk, there's two things that are buzzwords um, in every marketing meeting I've been in. Um, content, original content, and, and basically data, yep. or user data. Yep. And so it, it doesn't matter if you're a fortune 50 company or it everybody wants access to that information and I think that is other than streaming I think that's the most important thing moving forward um, to understand and as marketers and agencies and everybody else and consultants understand what people want yeah. I mean at the end of the day it's no different than the grocery store um, you just got to figure out <laughs> what people want to what people want to um, consume. Yeah, it's um, it's not that it's not that complicated. That it um, that it, that is important, and yeah. I think that we can get over our head and analytics. However, I do think that today's world, it's very important to understand and quantify everything that you do and how you do it. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a really exciting time, and I think it's time for people to take risk. Um, and I, I, I just think there's a lot of opportunity out there. I did want to ask you one question. Uh, so at the, right. at the ripe old age of 40 years old, uh, professionally speaking, what do you want your legacy to be? I want my legacy to be that um, 
from a racing standpoint, you know, you you created the biggest, the baddest um, facility in the world, and you had um, recognition from your peers, yep, and especially your elders. I think from at a life standpoint, would be I just want to be a good dad. Yep. Really don't care how much money you make. Yep. As long as your kids are happy and your wife's happy, that's basically the end of the day. Yep. And I I think that's a shift that's happening, and I I'm glad to see it. Um, but I think happiness is going to trump cash, and happiness is going to trump things you know how much shit you collect and cars and watches and all that bullshit yeah i don't i'm not a car watch person like i um i like time with my kids like coaching my kids like i don't think there's that much more in racing that i could do that like would accomplish anything yeah yeah like would i want to own something but no i think more of my life moving forward is going to be towards um, consulting and nonprofits and the you know wellness of society. Right. That's about <laughs> right. Like you know, selling cigarettes and, and beers at racetracks. Like, that, like that, to me, that's that that point of my life may be over. Yep. Is that fair? I f- that's totally fair, and I I, f- I feel you on that one. <laughs> yeah, I figured you might. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was more uh, power tools and uh, cell phones. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean I got a yellow lap that we're gonna get run here. Well, enjoy the beach and. Um, thank you, sir. Oh, have thank a... you. I enjoyed this honestly. Like, yeah. Uh, I had like two pages of notes. I didn't get to any of them. <laughs> Good. <laughs>